Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. Oh! And Woo! breaking down the hottest video game exposés that the world has yeah. to offer. Yeah. E- esports exposés, I guess I should say, right? Yeah, so everyone, the interview you're going to listen to here shortly, we interviewed Alexander Lee of uh, Digiday. Uh, Alex is a reporter, um, covers business stuff like within the gaming space, uh, esports, mm-hmm. has a lot of history there. Really smart guy. Really, really think you're all going to enjoy this interview. It was a great um, interview. Very, very open guy, which we really appreciated. You know, I, I think you'll, and you'll, you'll get this in the interview. A big theme around the interview is kind of, not chasing the clout of the esports industry, I guess, and like looking at things as objectively as you can when it comes to that business. And, you know, Alex was very, um, and this is awesome, was very unapologetic in his opinions, which I think were great. And, oh, yeah. You know, he did a lot of really awesome investigative journalism, which I think is very awesome as well. Um, yeah. So the I'm article, really excited for you all to hear this interview. The article is called How the Layoffs, there's the headline, How the Layoffs at 100 Thieves underscore esports creator, exec, esports creator executive leadership problems wait yep did i read that right did i say that correctly esports creator it's like a apostrophe it's a s apostrophe it's throwing me off here esports creator executive leadership problems basically um we talked about this hundred thieves stuff when it actually happened um a, f- a few months ago i remember it was like one of your topics there's been a few rounds of layoffs there yeah 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 and you know i think uh, you know if you've been listening to our podcast for a little while we we do like to we see ourselves as a mild watchdog on these kinds of things and you know the esports the e- esports community esports culture we go into a little bit on this interview but i think matt and i have always kind of had like a little bit of like a sussed out like it just seems like it's a negative news cycle all, all the time with esports organizations, competitive gamers, Twitch streamers that play competitively. And we dove into some of that on this interview. And I, I really appreciate Alex's real transparency and sort of like analysis from a journalistic point of view and from a business standpoint. You know how a lot of these folks, like these are pro gamers turned executives. It's not exactly business school. <laughs> like getting good at Call of Duty or CSGO is like not does not mean the same thing as like running, you know, a business with like investors and capital and all this kind of stuff. So we dove into some really interesting topics. Yeah. And, you know, that's not to say you can't be successful without that background, but, you know, it's kind of w- w- worth looking through everything with that kind of, I guess, realistic lens, I would say. Um, but anyways, hope you all enjoy the interview. Yeah. And without further oh, ado. Wait. Actually, before we get started, Matt, where could the good people find us online? Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Lucas. <laughs> we got to hear always, this everyone. before they get the interview. I know. You can find us online at TFP Podcasts. That's at TFP Podcasts with an S at the end. And then as well, of course, you can also shoot us an email at thanksforplayingpod at gmail.com or go straight to our, our website, thanksforplaying.live. And on the social media handles I just mentioned, or if you go to our website, um, you can find a link to our Discord. Come hang out on our Discord. It's a good time. It's where we're the most active. Uh, a lot of great discourse goes on in there. And um, it's a good time. And of course, if you want to hang out with your good buddy, Matt, you can follow me on Twitter at GoodIdeaMatthew. And Lucas, where can we find you? You could find me on Instagram at GoodIdeaLucas, or you could find me in the Discord where we could talk about magic, video games, movies, or esports organization layoffs. Love it. All right. All right, everyone. Well, without further ado... Enjoy the interview. 
Hey, everybody. We're here with Alex Lee, a writer at Digiday, uh, recently becoming internet famous, one might even say viral, for an article, Expose, on 100 Thieves. Alex, how you doing? Hey, it's a pleasure to be here with you guys. It's been an interesting week. To say <laughs> I'm least. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll get to the article in a bit. Um, I think it's it's been a great read for Matt and myself. Um, we shouted it out in our Discord and um, some of our people that, you know, our fans have been talking about it and kind of making the rounds on this article. And um, first, I just want to talk about um, your focus on on esports. This seems like something that you've been talking about for a while in your writing. Um, I see that you have a big focus on video games over there at Digiday. Um, so tell us, how did you zero in on this focus at esports and what made you go for this 100 Thieves article? Sure, I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version of my background. Uh, so I have been a writer at Digiday for the last just just under two years. Uh, and my focus, as you pointed out, is gaming and esports. Digiday is a business publication uh, that largely focuses on the advertising and marketing industries. So that is kind of the lens through which I look at esports, but I also just do a lot of, you know, scrutinizing of the esports business in general and all the forms that it takes. Before I was at Digiday, I was a freelance writer for uh, four years covering esports. And I got into that because I used to be, and I still sort of am, a competitive Super Smash Bros player. So I would read coverage of Super Smash Bros online and think to myself, I could do this too. I could do this better. <laughs> um, and then I just started doing it. So here we are. Awesome. awesome. I'm so glad you went there because my next question is, because this is in your Twitter bio, it says washed up melee player. Who? What is your tag and who do you main? And please don't say chic. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I... Okay, well, I made Jigglypuff, so I don't know how you oh, feel about Oh, that. no. <laughs> okay, well, Matt um, made but, Sheik, and I hate Sheik, so that was just the, the story there. But okay, talk about Jigglypuff for a second. Why are you made in Jigglypuff? I mean, Jigglypuff is the only character that's arguably more hated than Sheik these days. So that's what I was, you know, he didn't say don't say Jigglypuff. <laughs> um, but so I, I started playing competitive Melee in, I want to say, like 2013 or 2014. And back then, Jigglypuff was not considered the dominant character that she is today. Hungrybox was still around, but he was maybe the fifth or sixth best player in the world at the time, and he was the only Jigglypuff player. So I actually picked Jigglypuff because I wanted to be the underdog. You know, let's pick this cool kind of, you know, maybe even mid-tier character that no one else is playing with. Since then, Hungrybox has reigned as one of the dominant players in the world for like five yeah, years absolutely. now. So uh, I, I fully acknowledge that I'm just, you know, I'm a tear whore, but um, <laughs> hopefully I don't get canceled for using that term. No, no, that's, cool that's, that's a bona fide esports term for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, but well, yeah, cool. it was a noble, noble intention at the beginning. For that's sure. All I okay. I oh, it. and my my tag is Quality Steve. So if you want to watch my combo videos, feel free. To oh, hell yeah. Ooh, okay, <laughs> we're, we're plugging that for sure. For sure. Good, 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 good stuff there. All right. Um, well, let's jump into it. I know, Matt, you got some uh, some hardball questions that you want to throw at Alex right away here. So, uh, yeah, well, talk about it. really quickly, and just for anyone that might not be familiar with the article, this is basically kind of maybe Alex, you can sum it up better than me, but kind of like looking through looking at 100 Thieves and really esports at large through a pretty much, I think, objective lens, just kind of some of the problems they face and primarily some of the problems they face being a um, largely creative led or creator led organization rather. So, I'm kind of curious just to start, Alex. You know, obviously there's a lot of other esport organizations that are under flak here and there, whether it's FaZe or TSM. And 
100 Thieves is definitely not the only one going through layoffs. So kind of what drew you to this one in particular? So I started investigating this story initially just because I heard about 100 Thieves doing a recent round of layoffs in January. Uh, obviously, layoffs are something that have been happening across the industry, but these are the most recent and the most significant layoffs that happened. So I just kind of started sniffing around. And I want to give a shout out. Uh, I found out about the layoffs on Jacob Wolf's newsletter, which is a really fantastic source for people who are looking to kind of cut through the BS uh, in esports news. Um, and so I, I basically just started reaching out to as many 100 Thieves people as I could, uh, focusing on people, primarily people who had been laid off in the last two rounds of layoffs. There was another round in July 2022, but also really just speaking to anyone and everyone who was interested in honestly sharing their experience of what it was like to work at the company. Uh, and as I spoke to these people, I started to realize that their experiences did not really line up with the sort of public image that 100 Thieves has been projecting for the last couple of years. Um, 100 Thieves had really convinced the entire industry that it was on the cutting edge and perhaps better prepared to withstand economic headwinds than other big organizations. Uh, they made a lot of hay out of their merch drops and the fact that they have a business that's distributed across multiple verticals. Um, but when I was talking to these people, I realized that the reality is that 100 Thieves is facing the exact same business challenges as every other esports organization. It, it didn't really figure it out, and it, it almost entirely relies on brand partnerships uh, for meaningful revenue, despite the fact that it has all these other irons in the fire. And then on top of that, um, I really didn't want to focus on this that much in the, in the story, but I, I couldn't gloss over the fact that the overwhelming majority of people I spoke to also had specific complaints about executive management, uh, particularly the way they felt that Nadeshot had prioritized his passion projects and also created an environment in which people were afraid to speak up against that strategy because they knew how passionate he was about those projects. So all of this stuff kind of contradicted the public narrative around 100 Thieves, and that's why I felt it was a particularly important and newsworthy article for me to write uh, just because I felt like it it debunked a perception that was so widespread. For sure. You know, I, we can talk about other embattled esports organizations, but the truth is, you know, everyone knows that TSM has the problems it does. Mm -hmm. uh, so I will report on that as more news comes out. But <laughs> There wasn't exactly a public narrative to speak against. Sure. In, in yeah. That case. Yeah. It does seem that through the years, 100 Thieves has kind of always been the, um, I guess, poster child in a sense for esports organizations and as far as like how they ran as a business. But you brought up two points I want to dive into that I thought was really great. One regarding like some of his passion projects, Nate Shots, and then as well, kind of the um, work, work culture there and culture of fear. And I want to dive into that first. Um, on your initial thread about the article, or I think it might have been a response thread, someone relatively well known with like the esports industry, um, Hunter, Guard Hunter. I'm not too familiar with the Guard, but he obviously has a pretty big following. Um, he was basically saying how <laughs> that just being afraid of stepping out of line and being fearful that that could lead to you getting fired, that doesn't justify a culture of fear. And I read that, and in my mind, I thought, okay, like let's let's look at this. If we applied this exact that exact line of phrase to like any other company or like any other organization, whether that was like all the way up to like a Jeff Bezos, right, to like an Elon Musk, down to even like you know mom and pop shops. I mean, 
to feel like you're not able to <laughs> speak up and like give productive criticism on something and to be quote unquote stepping out of line with fear of getting fired is just crazy to me. So what, how would you respond to that? So I actually, I literally responded in the thread, right? Hoping he would respond to me, but he did not <laughs> um, because he's a coward. Um, I love it. But <laughs> I first would say that Hunter just straight up misrepresented what I said in my article. And it's funny because in his post, he screenshotted the exact part of the article where I said something and then literally misrepresented it in the next tweet. Um, he was making it seem as if the issue at 100 Thieves was that rank and file staff were afraid to speak up against the CEO. Mm -hmm. We can debate whether that's normal or not, but that's not even what I said. That was the case, but also other director and C-level staff were afraid to speak up against the CEO. It was an environment in which, I I'm not going to say everyone, um, I, I definitely get the sense that John Robinson, the president and COO, has has more uh, power and more of a voice than than other high-ranking executives at the company. But certainly other C-level executives were afraid to speak uh, about their discontent with the content strategy or with the business strategy of the company. And that's just not normal. C-level should be able to speak to each other candidly. Uh, otherwise, you know, the business will fail. And so he, one, he misrepresented what I was saying. But... Even his representation was fucked up. A company does not need to be a place where people are afraid to speak out. Uh, otherwise, it will get fired. Yeah. I have never worked for a company like that. And I've worked for several very successful companies. So to to act as if that is necessary in order for esports as an industry to be successful, which was the, the insinuation he made, uh, is just incorrect. And to me, shows a lack of real-world work experience, which would line up with someone like Hunter, who has spent <laughs> the entirety of his career in the esports trenches. Yeah, yeah. And we shouldn't judge what a normal work experience is based on how people are currently working in esports. That I know for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. Hard to agree there. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so on that note, too, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people like Hunter and even people that are just fans of 100 Thieves or fans of esports in general is that will be very forgiving on this. And I know you did put out a tweet that like, you're still surprised that people are still putting, really just kind of like putting everyone on such a pedestal in this industry. And I mean, I'll be honest, I've been there too. I know like years ago, I think like around 2018, I was trying to like apply for a job at 100 Thieves and definitely have changed my tune since then. But what do you, what do you think it is that attributes that public perception? You know, is it, just everyone wanting clout on Twitter so they're quick to defend? Are they hoping Nate Shot sees their tweet and gives them a job interview? Or is it just, <laughs> in general, the culture around esports has become so toxic that everyone, does, kind of to what you are saying earlier, everyone does think that that kind of fucked up work, work culture is the norm. I, I don't know if you're talking about that job interview thing, but I think you're actually completely spot on about that. And this is, I'm not going to say that this is an original thought. This is something that another esports journalist expressed to me uh, when we spoke a few days ago that I thought was really interesting. Uh, esports fandom is is different from traditional sports fandom in that in traditional sports, people, they want, they want their teams to win. And they care about the success of the business in as much as it can help the team the team win. Um, you can be a Patriots fan and you can want the Patriots as a business to do well because you want them to be able to afford the best players so that they can win championships. 
In the esports industry, fandom is aspirational. People are fans of esports organizations like 100 Thieves because they see themselves working for them someday and living the dream. And 100 Thieves backs that up. I mean, look at influencers like JHB, for example. JHB is just another influencer on 100 Thieves. He's like roster. the poster child. Yeah. He's the poster child. But his entire shtick as an influencer is ascending the ranks from intern to full-time staffer to what have you. Uh, and it it makes it makes the children who are largely fans of 100 Thieves think that they could follow the same path. And maybe they could, but that's 0.001% of 100 Thieves fans. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that all these people have, they're, they're aspirationally fans of both 100 Thieves and of esports as an industry. And so when they see, when they see an article like mine, which is truthfully pointing out issues with the business in a way that threatens to end the hype train, they see that as threatening their future in esports. It's the temporarily embarrassed millionaire thing, but for being an esports star instead. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I don't think it's like that dissimilar to how I think this perception has changed recently, but kind of how in culture we've glamorized like the Silicon Valley grind, like hustle and like startups, like around that. I think it's very similar um, and really kind of showing its face in um, this industry as well. And then, yeah, I mean, I just to just to not sorry to cut you off, but oh, I think good. the discourse about managers in esports really parallels a lot of things that people have been Absolutely. saying about Elon Musk's management yeah, style over yeah. the last few months. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty pretty wild. And going off on your earlier points too, kind of talking about Nate Shaw focusing more on his reportedly focusing more on his passion projects, whether that's Juvia or Project X. Um, that's something Hunter commented on a well as well. I don't think you responded to it, so I apologize if you did. But you know. I'm not too familiar with the business of um, energy drinks. I won't comment on that too much. But something Hunter was saying was that how when, you know, partnerships, which is really kind of, I think, pretty common knowledge. I mean, whether it's on YouTube or like brand activations, whatever, that's how these people, organizations make money, right? Yeah. Um, they were saying how they were looking into other verticals and he referenced Juvie and then Project X, Project X being their FPS they're working on. When I saw that, I was just kind of blown away because this is a, a game that's in development for an extremely saturated, into an extremely saturated space, the competitive shooter space, which, and I want to preface this with saying, I, I do think it's important that like any company undertakes things like that. Like you never know, you might get a gem, right? However, to call that like a smart vertical to be going into right now, when you're competing essentially against Counter-Strikes, Valorant, literally triple dev studio or triple a studios with a shit ton of experience calling that a good vertical was surprising to me. So what I was wondering for you was kind of like looking at it as objectively as possible as does it make sense to go into that outside of a passion project? So I, I, I do want to preface my answer to this by saying that I'm, I'm a journalist and I'm not a businessman. Sure. So um, yeah. I think there are a lot of people trying to make the esports business profitable and sustainable and i and i honestly wish them the best of luck uh Absolutely. so I, i'm not saying i have the solutions here but in a vacuum neither of those are businesses that i would view as businesses with high margins that are easy to scale um let's just let's just break them down i mean first of all juvie is a gamer energy drink it's a gamer oriented energy drink there's already a number of those in the market like ghost energy and g fuel um and i know as someone who's covered g fuel in some detail in the past that G Fuel 
has been profitable in the past, but it actually struggled to turn a profit last year. Um, and that is, they, I mean, they have an incredible ground and pound influencer team. Um, at least formerly one of the best marketing strategies in the entire business. Um, and it's an entire business that is geared around selling an energy drink. So if they're having trouble, then I don't see how Juvie could necessarily do much better. Um, and also, it's it's a consumer packaged goods business. I mean, there's massive overhead. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, here's another product that 100 Thieves has to manufacture and and store and distribute, find retail partners for. Uh, it's just way more complicated than a lot of the other businesses that 100 Thieves was doing prior. Um, and then Project X, uh, the, the video game. Uh, it was very funny that Hunter referred to this as a high as a high margin um, business because right now there is no product. Yeah, they're not so selling weird. anything. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're only they the spending prototype. money. Yeah, yeah. The margins are high in like an absolute sense if you were to take the negative amount of money that they're burning and consider that as a real number. <laughs> but otherwise, they're, they're literally they're not making any profit on that right now. So. T saying it has high margins is extremely speculative. Now, it's also speculative to say that that project will fail. Um, but like you said, it's an incredibly saturated genre. And also, I mean, it, it takes a huge marketing budget to get a game to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just skeptical that 100 Thieves will be able to beat out, you know, Riot Games with Valorant or Valve with Counter-Strike. I mean, yeah. these are massive corporations with way more money that are going to be way competing directly against Project X. Larger teams, more of everything, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it surprised me too to see that um, the chief product officer for it was Pete Hawley, which to be fair, I think he's had some successes in his career, but he was also the head of Telltale Games when they went under in 2018. And I just know he was the guy that was like, hey, we're out of money, no severance, good luck. So. Um, seeing him take the helm there didn't really inspire, at least for me, much confidence. But I mean, let's wait and see, right? Maybe it'll blow up and they'll make a shit ton of money on um, like a live service or games as a service type of thing. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm, I'm withholding judgment on both businesses. Ultimately, sure. um, it's it's certainly possible that they will strike a nerve or, you know, strike a chord and pop off. Um, <laughs> and I and I don't you know, I'm not cheering against them either. It would be great if that happened. No, yeah. I mean, I'd prefer if it did succeed, honestly, because then everyone involved in it Hopefully gets a good payday, which would be good for for all of them. But awesome. And then one other Twitter that I, I did want to point to that I was kind of curious just to get your thoughts on. And I don't think I say respond to it. So um, Jake Lucky, obviously another very large voice on the Twitter sphere of, and YouTube, I think, for esports in general, was pretty critical of you comparing. Um, and maybe I'm misreading it as well, but comparing basically like FaZe Banks as well as um, the TSM CEO, Andy Din, to Nate Shot, where Nate Shot was just being accused of essentially being, I don't want to, I don't think abuses or a rude CEO, I will just call it that for right now. Whereas obviously Banks is like cryptocurrency schemes and then uh, Andy Din was actually fined by Riot. So I guess it was more so, um, what's the word? opposite of acquitted convicted in that regard uh <laughs> so do you think that's a fair comparison um kind of lumping him in with those two yeah and this was the part that i think got people most riled up online um so i'm just gonna read the full paragraph back to you guys so we can talk about it yeah um 
Richard Banks Bengston, the former chief operating officer of FaZe Clan, dragged the company into controversies involving cryptocurrency schemes and illegal gambling before stepping down in May 2022. A TSM CEO, Andy Reginald Din, was fined by Riot Games last year over allegations that he verbally abused some of his employees. Some workers in the esports industry are beginning to lump 100 Thieves founder and former pro Call of Duty player Matthew Nadeshot Haig, never said his name out loud, don't know if it's pronounced that way, into, the, into that group too. Do you guys know how his last name is pronounced? I want to say it's Haig. I could be wrong. I though. think it's Haig. Yeah. This, this section was not intended to say he is exactly like these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when I read it, it, I still don't read it as such. I think people have bad reading comprehension uh, in esports <laughs> and 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 kind of interpreted that way. But the intent in saying that some workers are beginning to lump him into that is to say that numerous people told me that they saw him heading in the same direction as those people. Um, and if he did not have a wake up at some point or hand over the reins, then he would end up like them. Um, again, I, I really didn't want to focus the article on the specific misconduct experienced by people at 100 Thieves for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that I write for a business publication and what our readers care about is the impacts of this leadership on the actual business, mm-hmm. not the feelings of the people who worked for it. Um, and the second thing is that a lot of the examples I was given were very specific and would very clearly identify the people who I spoke to if I was to list them specifically. Um, what I will tell you is that I was told by multiple people I spoke to that it was a common saying in the 100 Thieves office, why isn't this guy canceled yet? Um, I am, (laughs) and this, this is pretty open. You'll see this if you just look at his videos, uh, he would often compare himself to Dave Portnoy, uh, who is the, you know, (laughs) El Presidente, the leader of Barstool Sports, say that he would want to emulate Dave and emulate Barstool Sports as the ideal leadership style in business that he would want to pursue for 100 Thieves. All of wow. these things together, I'm, and, and then there's something that I, I tweeted out that um, I believe Nade like, directly referenced in a tweet that he posted the other day, which is that I was told by multiple employees that it was sort of unofficial company policy to not speak to him before he had his lunch in the morning because he would very regularly snap at people who spoke to him in the morning and then send them emails to apologize in the afternoon. So. All of these things together do indicate a toxic work environment that is at least partially caused by a shot. That is all I meant to imply. There was one other line in there that said he was rude to his coworkers, which is absolutely true based on what I've been told by multiple people. It's possible that all of these people are lying to me, but I don't find it likely that six people would lie to me in the exact same way about the exact same thing. Yeah. So the question of, is it a fair comparison to make? I think it is a fair comparison to make because I think this pattern shows that Nadeshot is risking heading in that direction. But I certainly did not mean to say He's that he there. is exactly like those guys. And I, I don't think I said that either. I don't blame people for interpreting it that way. Uh, I admit that maybe it would have been better to just like make another paragraph break there or something. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Uh, I'd say it's 2020. 2020. Uh, oh, there we go. Yeah. yeah um, minds. All right. Last <laughs> major question for me then, Lucas. I think you might have had a couple, but, you know, I think obviously right now with, you know, the economy at large, it's no secret that a lot of companies, particularly in tech, are going through the ringer. Um, and there's a lot of arguments about like, are we heading to a recession? And, you know, seeing kind of layoffs really across the board, again, particularly in tech, but esports in general too are really getting hit by that, um, and not just 100 Thieves. We're seeing a lot of other companies 
do a lot of layoffs and things like that. And then, you know, as we get, as that happens more, um, and as we get deeper into a recession, we're going to see companies shelling out a lot less, obviously, for things like partnerships. And I think you pointed out in your article as well that Rocket Mortgage, um, I think Cash App and a couple other big ones had actually ceased partnerships. Was that accurate? Yes, that's right. That's remarkable um, which, to me. Uh, that's that was like the biggest, available information. Yeah, because I know yeah, like, I think the big thing was the Cash App house. The building. Time. Yeah, I was going to say they, they built a spot here in L.A. that was like the Cash App. Yeah, you know, hundred thieves building. <clears throat> but excuse me. Leading into my main question, um, do you see this uh, as something that is just par for the times? Esports is just also having a tough time, like any other company is right now, or is this more indicative of a bubble bursting for esports in a way? It's a bubble bursting, um, and it's 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 funny. It's been like a slow motion bubble bursting. Mm -hmm. I think the first time people said that esports was a bubble. There was like this great piece by Cecilia D'Anastasio and Kotaku in like 2017 or something. And we've all been waiting with bated breath for the, the correction ever since. Um, but here's why I think it's finally going to happen. Um, so it's the recession has to do with it. Like you said, brands are cutting down on their marketing budgets and looking to be more efficient and effective with the marketing that they do spend in the gaming space. Um, the problem is for esports, the problem for esports organizations is, I should say, is that Brands are simultaneously realizing that it's more, it's cheaper and generally more effective and targeted to just partner with individual influencers rather than partnering with an esports organization that then attempts to distribute that brand partnership across its roster of streamers. Uh, you can just connect more easily with a, an audience in an authentic way if you're working with an individual streamer. Um, and so if brands are looking to tighten the purse strings and get more um, more targeted and efficient with their marketing spend in gaming, they're they're likely to stop spending on esports organizations first. And we've already seen this happen. Uh, BMW pulled out of esports completely at the beginning of 2023. And that used to be a huge sponsor of major esports organizations across the board. Um, and I, I anticipate that that kind of that kind of shift is going to continue to happen. So I think So it wasn't necessarily unwise for 100 Thieves to be looking for new new verticals, yeah, types of revenue. Um, that's one reason why I'm not necessarily passing judgment on the types of revenue they made. Um, but whether that was a good deci decision or not does not reflect the fact that it it the company staffed up way too fast um, and then had to do two consecutive consecutive rounds of layoffs and the workers suffered as a result. And I think that is a result of the management um, and and Nate perhaps getting a little too um, deep in the weeds with those passion projects. So I don't think esports is doomed. I think competitive gaming is really compelling. Whether individual businesses businesses like 100 Thieves survive or not, others will arise to carry the mantle. Uh, but I know at the end of 2023, there will be fewer active esports organizations than there are now. There will be mergers, there will be closures, uh, and only the strong will survive. Yeah, it's mm. going to be very interesting to see how yeah. it all plays out. Yeah, um, I got a question for you, uh, Alex. So one thing that Matt and I talk about on this podcast pretty regularly is sort of the personalities that esports really ends up grabbing. I know you're reporting mostly on business, but I know you're pretty close to just the esports sphere in general. Um, know a lot of the players in it. And, you know, we have like some prime examples that you just brought up of, you know, esports organization leaders with some problematic behavior 
you know, we are in a constant negative news cycle with like Twitch drama, competitive gamers kind of saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. How do we, how, how does the esports industry sort of turn this around and get the right personalities that have a positive impact on, on this sort of industry that's trying to get off the ground? Is there a way? I mean, that's a, that's like a billion dollar question, <laughs> right? Because if you honestly, and, and uh, I'm going to admit, like, this is a, maybe a bit of a blind spot for me, because if you had asked me this question like two or three weeks ago, I would have been like, well, you just got to know the right people. Like, look at Ludwig and his gang. Those are creators who are all on the up and up. Like, they all had real yeah. jobs before this. They all like have ethics. They know what they're doing. And then the whole thing with Atrioc and the deep yeah. form came out. <laughs> and rough. I questioned that. And, and, and I question my own perception of these people. Like, at the end of the day, is my belief that they are more responsible than others still just a form of that parasocial relationship? Maybe, probably. So, I know that's not an answer to your question, no, no, but no. I, I think the answer really, like, I, I hate to say it, but the answer is really to lean on creators less. Uh, mm. You know, we, we need, this is just an obvious answer, but these companies really need to continue to staff up with people who have proven themselves as businessmen in other industries, like, like finance or entertainment or sports, uh, where I also think, but you know, being a bad actor gets weeded out a little bit just by working with other people a little more professionally and frequently than you do as a Twitch streamer or creator. Um, you know, like it's only a matter of time until something else comes out about one of the OTK guys. You know, like it, I, that's what it feels like at this point. I'm not. I don't know anything that you guys don't in that regard. But it would just be hard as a brand who wants to partner with an organization. It'd be hard to guarantee that that partnership or activation is going to be brand safe if you work with any sort of creator powered organization. So it's hard because those creators are also like the nexus of attention and thus power in this industry. Like I said, like they're the ones individual creators are the ones who are going to be signing more partnerships in 2023. Uh, but I mean, I would just if I'm if I'm like a marketer whose job is to figure out which influencer to work with, I'd be second guessing myself so hard right now. Yeah, yeah. So that, that I that's a non-answer to your question. I, I no, just, it's a great. I don't response. really know. No, no, it's a, it's a great response. And um, just just going off of that real quick as well. Um, you know, one thing that esports has been trying to do the last few years is really try to be analogous to traditional sports. Um, you know, and like try to have the analyst desk and have all this like kind of time like. You watch the league LCS and it's really built now from the ground up to be like, like you're watching a professional sports event, you know? And do you, do you think that's fair for them to try and do? Do you think that's trying to take up space where it shouldn't be? Or do you think that's the direction that they should try and we should try and go for as an industry? I have two answers to that. I think from a, from a business pers perspective, from just like the way that we structure the industry, um, esports, and I, I think to be fair, I think you know, a lot of esports businesses have figured this out, but esports cannot be structured similarly to the traditional sports industry. And, and the key reason, which you guys probably know, is that the sports industry, like sports leagues like the NFL, are powered by revenue from media rights partnerships. Um, esports competitions are streamed for free on Twitch. Uh, and at this point, Pandora's box is open. So I just don't really see like a viable pathway for media rights making a lot of money for esports anymore. And so just fundamentally, like the business needs to be structured in different ways. And then at the same time, fandom is just simply not regional in esports. And so attempting to create regional fandom like the Call of Duty League or yeah, the Overwatch League doing is just really hard. Yeah, uh, some, yeah. some teams have done better than others. But yet, like, yeah, broadly, I would say it was it was kind of a failed experiment. Um, 
And so, so from a business perspective, I do not think that esports should be taking cues from the sports industry. From a production and and just like straight up content perspective, I don't see a problem with it necessarily. Like I don't see a problem with the LCS broadcast team acting as if they're ESPN. Uh, however, there are inherent issues there as well. You guys might have been aware of the controversy surrounding Latigris a week ago. Uh, she did a monologue for the LCS broadcast last Friday and mentioned the controversy surrounding TSM and and its CEO Reginald um, as part of her as part of the monologues attempt to hype up a TSM match. Um, and she and the entire LCS broadcast team were roundly criticized by fans for bringing up this public knowledge and actually had to issue several apology statements saying we really fucked up uh, in this way. Wow. And that just wouldn't ha and, and that's an issue that inherently arises because the, the same company that is organizing the broadcast has a very clear business relationship with the teams, yeah. like with with the companies that are being talked about. Um, whereas ESPN as a media organization and, and theoretically a journalistic organization has a separation there. That means it, 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 it will never have to apologize for that kind of thing. So my the only issue there is that I think if if broadcasts like the LCS want to be more like journalistic sports industry broadcasts, they'll need to figure out a way to be able to speak freely. And there are just too many skeletons in the closet right now for esports people to really do that in this industry, at least yeah. all the time. Totally, totally. <clears throat> Matt, you got anything else? No, that's all for me. Uh, Alex, I guess anything else you would just like to comment on about the article or anything at all really with, with uh, what's going on? Yeah. Um, I mean, look, the number one thing I want to say is that the article was interpreted as specifically negative about Nade as like a person. Um, and it was described by mostly people on the 100 Thieves subreddit as a hit piece. And it wasn't that. I actually very consciously chose not to focus on the many experiences that were shared with me from 100 Thieves employees who felt that they had been wronged um, during their time there and, and really on the business impact of this leadership. However, I didn't want to shy away from pointing out the fact that 100 Thieves is having the same issues as every other organization, in part because it has the same leadership issues as every or, every other organization. So, I, I you know, I got a lot of I incurred a lot of psychic damage as a result of this choice, um, but I just I don't regret it. I will say Good. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens because Nade tw obliquely but very clearly tweeted about the article yeah. on Friday. And um, ever since then, I've just been kind of feeling like I'm tied to the tracks with like a, a freight train <laughs> headed towards me of like angry Nade fans. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, to be completely honest, his audience is larger than then and his platform is larger than mine or Digiday's. So if he was to like go on stream and talk about this, it would be a total Streisand effect and it would notify many people who didn't know about this stuff that I was writing about it. So I actually welcome that. Um, <laughs> but I might just be spending some days this week not looking at my phone that much. Uh, so we'll see how that plays yeah. out. But Mutual I really appreciate you guys. Um, yeah, don't, that was my girlfriend's number one piece of advice. Uh, when I spent like two hours venting to her about this on Friday. <laughs> but um, I really just appreciate you guys giving me the chance to come talk about this in more detail because I, I want to show that this is something I'm approaching in good faith as a journalist yeah. who just wants to uncover the truth of the esports business. Uh, there's no agenda here. 
Um, and so, you know, hopefully at least one person watches or listens to this and and realizes that. So yeah, thank you. Guys. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. Of course. So glad you're able to come on. And I don't think any of us are like outright rooting for like the demise of any of these organizations. Right. Like there's real people, real mm-hmm. people tied to these real jobs, real income, real everything. And I think we're all fans of esports here. So but, you know, it's important to also look at things through a lens and see where improvements can be had. So I think that's important. Too. Yeah. And I. I will say, you know, I do, Alex, I really do admire the the grind of being, you know, a journalist in this relatively new space and kind of finding finding these things because it's, I mean, you're right. I mean, esports is so, so new and like there's so many like things that they're trying to figure out as an industry and, you know, it's like anything, a new industry comes out and, you know, some people rise to the top very quickly that probably shouldn't be there. There's, re- there's you know, reckless behavior, there's backlash, there's all sorts of different problems and we need people in that space reporting on those kinds of things with the journalistic eye. So, I mean, you're doing, you're doing good work out there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And then, uh, Alex, if people want to find you online, where should they look? Or if maybe you don't want them to find you right now, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, if you want to come yell at me, if you want to come talk to me, uh, feel free to go to Alex at Alex Lee was taken on all platforms. Really? Um, that includes Venmo. If you want to send me some money, um there you go but uh yeah i mean only follow me if you are okay with uh the hard-hitting business journalism interspersed with like weird esoteric shit posts that <laughs> i write at like you know 1 a.m while i'm stoned so uh, it's, it's a mixture of right in that we're right in that venn diagram huh Matt? pretty much like yeah. esoteric shit post and business talk yeah I lo- all I right come on come all <laughs> love it awesome well Thank you, Alex. This was an awesome interview. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you. Thanks, you guys. All right, everyone. And that was Alex Lee. Uh, really awesome interview. Really enjoyed speaking with him. And again, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, appreciate the time you're willing to give us. But outside of that, kind of back to what we're all about here is video games, right? And whew. Hogwarts, me, you know Hogwarts? Me, me and Lucas are busy. We got Hogwarts going. Last of Us. I actually already beat Last of Us. That's our next game for the podcast. Last of Us TV show. Something I've been looking forward to watching every week. It's just been awesome. Uh, a lot, quite a lot going on. But um, honestly, I haven't dove in. I don't know if you've played it all yet, Lucas. I haven't dove in into Hogwarts as much as I want because I've been playing so much fucking Apex. Apex. That's <laughs> all you're playing, dude. That's all I know, you do. I know. It's. I haven't enjoyed a multiplayer game this much. It's probably since like the first like six months that TFT came out. Wow. Um, wow. And this is fun too, because I'm in, because I'm playing with our boys, uh, Ricky and Edgar, and we're just like climbing and something like I, I lowered, I was having so much trouble with my aim in that game, right? Like it was obnoxiously bad. And I lowered my sensitivity a bit. And I'm finally like getting better, I feel like. And I'm actually like able to really trace my shots a lot better. I didn't realize how much of a difference that would make. So now that I'm actually really like contributing and playing better, I'm having so much more fun with it too. All right, dude. Um, okay. Evolved competitive yeah. gamer Matt coming out. Evolved competitive gamer Matt. Apparently my mouse was just on crack before. But uh <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. My you haven't been playing any Hogwarts though. I'm surprised. I'm like genuinely really in, surprised. I know, I know. I, I, I've i been pretty busy, honestly, since the, the past week it came out. I put in about an hour. I got to just, you know, I went through the prologue, basically, kind of the tutorial levels. Um, 
And it, it is fun so far. You know, I'm only an hour in, and I went Slytherin because I'm a. It's just who I am. The um, Slytherin Common House is really cool. I didn't know it was under the lagoon. It's dope. Yeah, yeah. That's it's like cool. a dungeon, like a really beautiful dungeon is the best way to describe it. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited. I'm more into that. But we got we got time to play that one too. That we're not reviewing that till March. End of, end of March. Yeah. End yeah. of March. But, I um yeah. I I think I'm like halfway through The Last of Us. Um, and I'm very oh well. We're not really supposed to be talking about it too much before we hit the recording studio. But I'm liking it. So. Just, okay. you know, a little preview there. Um, and I got a, I got a decision I got to make. Um, do I do Hogwarts on my Steam Deck or do I go PS5? I'd say PS5 for sure. Really? Okay. Because like, unless I, I you, actually unless you played... want to be play, able to play it mobily, I would say your PS5. See, I haven't been able to play anything on my Steam Deck that's like a true like mobile experience, like a, like a, a new game. I, I mean, I've played fallout. I played fallout three on my steam deck so far and like donkey Kong country on emulation. So I haven't actually played anything and pushed the steam deck that much. I mean, your, your call, I would say if you want to have like the best Hogwarts experience, I'm going to say it's probably going to be best experience on your PS five versus mm. your steam deck. But if you really want to get more out of your steam, deck, I don't know. I feel like there's other ways to test your steam deck. Here, here's what I'll, here's what I'll do. I think I'm leaning towards, and I already knew the answer to this. I was just going to get your opinion. I, I was hoping that you'd push me more towards the Steam Deck. I'm going to do the Steam Deck, and really? just so we'll have like a comparison here, because this is the this is the test for the Steam Deck. It is a brand new seventy dollar AAA game. Like it's the hottest game right now. I need to play it on like my newest hardware, which I haven't done yet. So I try it out. It does not look as good nearly on the Steam Deck as the PS. Have you have you looked it up already on the Steam yeah. Deck? Are you looking it up right now? Yeah. What yeah. do you think? I could see up your face. 40 not... frames on it. I mean, I. Are you also going to play? Are you going to like hook it up to your TV? Um, Maybe. I mean, or... I could, I could, but I was thinking more just like, I haven't played a game like on my switch or on my steam deck really yet. Like I've, I can't even remember the last like big game I played on my switch to just like take with me and like hang out. But the steam i've just had this thing for a while and i haven't i haven't pushed it so i feel like i gotta go for it i'm you know whenever i go to katie's or if i'm at my parents for the day or i'm just like if i got any travel or road trips or anything like that we're going to vegas at the end of the month i could just play it on the way to vegas think about that yeah that's true yeah man you know i, I think if that's the experience you want i think steam deck's the way to go but i think if you want the pure cinematic experience i think ps5 is the way to go but okay, you know well, it'll it'll be it'll make for a good episode if you played on the Steam Deck and I played it on the PS5. So yeah, for that for that alone, I would say do it. I guess. Okay. Well, we gotta let the people know. I gotta we gotta review both versions. Know. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Anyway. Ooh, that'd be interesting. Do we have a protocol for that? If we review different versions of the game, we have done that before, I believe. Um, I think we did different versions. Like we've played, like you've played something on PS5 and I've played something on like PC. Or something, or you played on PS5. I played on like Xbox One. So we have had. Like, I played in, like I played like an emulator. I remember for uh, fuck Chrono Trigger, and you played uh on your. I played like, the tablet. iPad version. I played the iPad yeah. version of Chrono Trigger, and I did the iPad version of Inside. And oh, did you? I didn't remember. I, I did. That. I did. And then, which was actually really good. And then I don't know what what you play Inside on. I don't remember. Uh, I played that on my PlayStation. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I think it just depends on like kind of I, I think for those games I was like oh like I kind of want to be mobile and I play like when I'm 
staying at Katie's or something. And I just like had, I just had to be more mobile with it. So I think that's where my head is at with Hogwarts legacy. Love it. All right. All right. Curious to see how that all goes, but yeah. All right. Uh, Again, everyone, uh, I think he plugged it, but yeah, Alex Lee, awesome, awesome guy. Really great. And really appreciate the time he took to interview us, but uh, yeah, got a lot of of stuff to look forward to. At Alex Lee was taken. Just again, I know he said it in the thing, but it's probably been a few minutes since uh, we got past that interview part in this episode. Really great Twitter handle, by the way. I do have to say. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Hope to have him back. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone. Uh, Well, this has been. Thanks for playing. Catch you next time. Scooby-Doo Bob. Thanks for playing as a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Sammy Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch Red Circle. 